I have a travel bug. Definitely. I don't know its name. All I know is that I have to feed it at least once a year by going to new and interesting places. From these places, I write about my experiences. So, where on earth am I now? Chacaltaya Mountain, Bolivia. Saturday, the 6th of November, 2010. So I worked in this last week. I actually feel like I made progress for once. I actually started the dissertation itself. It was nice. I just sat in the hostel courtyard and typed. After Halloween on Sunday night, which was popular here in La Paz, the next day was Dia de la Muerte, or Day of the Dead. Pretty self-explanatory. It's all about those who have passed away, family members, loved ones, etc. This is a really important holiday in much of Latin America. The big festival, Flora informed me, was the next day, November the 2nd. This is when all across Latin America, people flock to cemeteries and graves for rituals and prayers. It can be quite emotional and colourful too. I wanted to see it firsthand, but I didn't want to pry on such an important event. First though, I needed a translator for my interview with Lucia tomorrow. My original one was on holiday. Turns out lots of people were. It was a national holiday in Bolivia, which meant it was like a Sunday, silent in the city. I walked around, and there was hardly anyone, anywhere. These times are rare, when there is not so much noise in La Paz, or traffic, or smog. It's an opportunity to see the city in a different mood. It seems so angry and stressed the rest of the time. But no, today, all was calm. All was quiet, all was still. In the city, that is, not my head. I needed a translator for tomorrow. What was I going to do? I thought first I should go to the travel company across the road. The hostel receptionist said they could help. But of course, like most places today, they were closed. Then I thought of my embassy, but no. They were all the way across town and had dodgy opening hours on a normal day. I wouldn't be surprised if they were closed today, too. I sat on my bed a little worried for a moment. Then I thought, Jose Luis, the man at the university with the contacts. He was bound to know someone. I gave him a ring, and luckily, he picked up. He was very helpful and put me in touch with Lucy, a woman I had already met briefly at the university. She was available and agreed to come to the hostel the next morning. Phew! Since that was sorted, I decided to go in search for the main cemetery of La Paz. I thought, I won't go in, it would just be nice to see where everyone had got to. So I walked, and I walked. I had a map with me, but the cemetery was just off it. I never found it. <sighs> no day of the dead for me. I was so annoyed. I was lucky enough to be on this side of the world for one of the biggest events in the calendar. But it wasn't to be. So I made my way back through the quiet streets. The next morning, I had my interview. It was at nine. So Lucia turned up at 9.40. That's La Paz for you. And a Bolivian habit in general, as far as I know. Once we finally got underway, however, it was great. She was very informative, answered all my questions and let me take a picture for my project. Lucy, the translator, was brilliant too. She was like a computer. Spanish went in, English came out. She was actually a lot better than the original translator I had arranged, so I decided to stick with her. Just to make things even better, she didn't charge. How kind. Of course I had offered, but she explained that her son had been a fashion student not so long ago and had experienced the same difficulties I had, i.e. cancellations, people turning up late. So she sympathised and she refused to be paid. I couldn't believe such generosity. Yet another example of the people of La Paz, so selfless, always willing to help. I worked the rest of the week, and then decided on Saturday I had to do something. On Sunday I had to call various people, 
Monday I had two more interviews I was ready for. Tuesday I had to pack, and on Wednesday I was leaving La Paz. So Saturday was my last chance. Late on Friday, I went to the tour company across the road and asked for cheap day trips. I was reaching the last of my money. The lady presented me with a number of options, one of which was the nearby Chacaltaya mountain. Now, I stood there, reasoning to myself, thinking out loud, if you like. Part of this stream of consciousness was me going, hmm, say if I go to Chacaltaya. With limited English-speaking ability, however, the woman took this mumbling to mean, I'll go to Chacaltaya. She was already on the phone booking it. I still had my hand on my chin, mumbling to myself, when I looked over to see the woman finish off the conversation and put the phone down. All books, don't forget a scarf and a packed lunch. Oh no, I'm going up a mountain. By accident. That night, I spoke to Flora, who gave me coca leaves to chew in order to keep off the effects of altitude sickness. La Paz was hard enough to breathe in at 3,600 metres. Tomorrow, I was going over 5,300 metres. Unintentionally. Oh well. She also advised me to get my packed lunch this late from a hole-in-the-wall cafe around the corner. It was chicken, rice and maize in a takeaway tub for 15 Bolivianos. Not bad. However, as it was wrapped up and handed to me, I decided it would be known as salmonella chicken by the look of the place. So I had my alpaca wool gloves from Cusco, my coca leaves and my salmonella chicken plus a few other things. I was set to do whatever it is I was doing. I wasn't really sure. This morning, I was up early to get the bus. Only this time, it wasn't a big tourist coach. It was a minibus, identical to the ones used as transport in La Paz. This meant on the tour, there was only nine of us, plus the guide and the driver. We took a new route up through El Alto, not along the main road. In fact, not along the road at all. This was a track and a very bumpy ride. Out on the Altiplano, or Bolivian Plain, we had our first stop. And it wasn't hard to see why. There was Mount Chacaltaya, and right next to it was the slightly higher peak of Mount Potosi, jagged and snow-capped. Now, I don't know if you want to believe this, and I don't even know if I do either, but the guide said Mount Potosi is the famous mountain image used by Universal Studios. Hmm. It was certainly a beautiful view, and a clear blue lake in front of it, too. Wow. After photos, we jumped back in and started winding our way up the mountain. This got scary. Remember, it's a track, covered in rocks and potholes, but now on a mountainside, with no barriers, and sheer drops below. I was sat on the outside side of the minibus, too. Just don't look down, focus on the views. Oh my god, the road gets narrower up ahead. Okay, don't look down. Wow, that's a long way down. Stop looking down! The driver did well. We snaked our way up the makeshift road, pausing every now and then for photos. We saw ruins of old houses. This used to be a mining area. People had to live up here. After a couple of hours, we were up as far as the minivan would go. We could see the peaks, or three of them. It was about 45 minutes more to walk to the top. The views were already spectacular. It was a great shame as we climbed. You see, Chacaltaya is advertised as the world's highest ski resort. Not in the days of global warming, it ain't. The snow had melted. All of it. All 50 metres of it. That's how thick the snow up here was. Now it was a barren, rocky mountainside. As we climbed, we followed a wire overhead which I assumed was an electricity or telephone line. Until we got to the top, and I realised it was an abandoned ski lift. The wire ran up to the remains of an old hut with a huge wheel. It was eerie, like a ghost town. 
Once there had been a livelihood up here. Now it had been entirely scorched out of existence. More photos, and then we moved on to the other peaks. I looked down to the plain and saw lakes of the most amazing colours. Some a deep blue or green, some were red. The colours were made by minerals, which made the water toxic, although my guide reliably informed me that she was pretty sure that the same water was taken, treated and used in certain areas of La Paz, including at my hostel. Nice. Potosi looked magnificent from up here, sat next to us with a beautiful glacier intact, though for how long, I'm not sure. And on the other side of it, we were told, Brazil. What an entrance. I could understand how the snow had melted. It was weird. There was a cold mountain wind which tore at your throat, and you had to wrap your scarf around your chin. Yet when I stopped to sit down, the rocks were almost too hot to touch. The sun was that strong. Altitude-wise, I was okay, as I'd taken a pill that morning. However, every now and then I would chew on some coca leaves to see if it helped. Not really. And they tasted disgusting. You don't swallow the actual leaf, only the water. Then you spit out the remains. So I endlessly had bits of leaf in my mouth. It was quite annoying, really. Then we were back on the minibus, winding down the same craggy track. Once we were on the plane, it wasn't over. Every now and then, the minibus would dip into a pothole or a ditch and lean about 45 degrees. We would hold our breath and then climb our way out. Good little minibus, this, and the driver, of course. The second part of the tour was the Via della Luna, again. Well, it was nicer weather today, and we did the full 40-minute walk instead of the 15 minutes I'd done a week previously. Still impressive. I ended up getting back to the hostel at about half three. Not the longest day in the world, but I'm so tired. And that wind had more of an effect than I thought. I've got such a sore throat. Never did eat my salmonella chicken. Three bites just now and I'm not keen. And that was my final excursion. I'm coming to the end of this adventure. Somewhere over the Amazon, South America. Wednesday the 10th of November, 2010. My adventure has come to an end. What a trip. And guess how it ended? With me being ill, of course. Much like how it began. At the end of the Chakaltaya day trip, I had those three bites of my salmonella chicken. Well, as it turns out, that was three bites too much. I was up that night nursing the return of my stomach gripes. Then, in the morning, they were gone. But they had been replaced by a cold, a proper classic like one you get in a British winter. My throat was so sore. This had obviously been brought about by the chilling wind on Chakaltaya. The whole of Sunday was spent in bed. I wanted to be better because Monday was a big day. I had my final two interviews early in the morning. Too early, it turns out. I felt even worse when my alarm went off. The first interview was at 8.30 in the morning with Ariel at Red Adder. It was a nice interview. Like Lucia, Ariel spoke a lot and gave me loads of information to use, both verbal and written. Lucy was my interpreter again. She did well, of course. Afterwards, it was time to interview a feminist and an anarchist. She wore a lot of makeup and accessories. She had weird hair and black lipstick. And she didn't remember our phone call. At all. I'd phoned more than a week previously, and we'd arranged the interview, I was certain. Apparently not. To start with, I was ignored when I went to shake her hand, as I was a man. She went round me to my female interpreter to deliberately shake her hand first, then me. She insisted we hadn't spoken and that we couldn't do our pre-arranged one-hour interview, but could only talk for 20 minutes. Fine. In the interview, she started by telling me the other two organisations I'd spoken with were really crap, boring and repetitive. 
The interview was in English, so Lucy didn't have to do much. However, when she tried to interject in order to better explain something, this woman talked loudly over her. And when I attempted to clarify things, I was talked down and told not to say things in a proper way. Wow. This woman was rude. She was abrupt and she was aggressive by her own admission. She had her opinions and her radio station to broadcast them on, yet she insisted it wasn't her aim to change anybody's mind or way of thinking. It all seemed a bit pointless to me, and she seemed very childish. I found her contradicting herself on several occasions. Then I said we were finished, and she said, bye-bye, jumped out of her seat and was gone. What a kook! So I'd finally got my interviews done, at last. The next day, Tuesday, I went back to the university for the last time to collect some information from Jose Luis for our library in my UK university. The minibus went a different way and deposited me on 15th Street. The university was on 2nd. It was a long walk with a blocked nose up a hill at high altitude. I felt like crap. And when I got to the university, Seclad, the office, was closed. A woman let me in and we searched for my package. Jose Luis, as it turned out, was at a meeting in town. I said thank you and goodbye to him over the phone and headed back to my hostel. For the second time on that last day, the minibus dropped me where I didn't want to be. It was another tough walk. I was wheezing by the time I got back. What a way to feel on the final day. I had my final dinner in the hostel. Flora gave me appy to drink. It was an instant powder to take home. Plus some picante. Awesome. Then she also gave me a set of handcrafted Bolivian panpipes. I didn't know what to say. She had done so much for me over the last six weeks. And she had been my friend in Bolivia, one of my only sources of social contact. Flora was the person I would miss the most in this country. I thanked her, we had our photo taken, swapped contact details, and then said our goodbyes. Then I had an early night. It was a long journey the next day. I was up this morning at 5am and left the hostel half an hour later. It was goodbye to the converted presidential house which had been my home for six weeks. It was goodbye to the noisy, crowded, polluted city which had become my vibrant, inspiring, energetic setting. Goodbye to the university, the Plaza Murillo, El Prado and Café Manolos. Goodbye to the Autopista motorway with that breathtaking view. And goodbye to the daunting and undiscovered city of El Alto. I boarded my flight and had one last incredible view of the entire region at takeoff. Then I was gone. Reading back, it struck me that I was a little unfair to La Paz when I first arrived. It's just how I felt at the time. However, I did say that it's somewhere you need to scratch under the surface if you want to see its merits. And I stick by that, because I did it. There's something special about La Paz and its surroundings, something I'm really going to miss. It's the people. They are unlike any people I have ever met before. So generous, so selfless. I lose count of the amount of people who put me first, expecting nothing in return. Fernando, my grandmother's neighbour in Miami, who drove me to the airport in a tropical storm. Flora, at my hostel, who made me feel welcome and kept me fed. Lucia, who accompanied me to Radio Pachamama. Jose Luis, who put me in touch with whoever I needed to talk to and whatever I needed to read. Lucy, who provided Spanish to English translation for free. The list really does go on. Yes, the people of Bolivia are a rare breed and something to be encountered and enjoyed. And as I write this on my plane, I keep stopping to look down wherever the clouds part. There beneath me is the Amazon rainforest, and like a mighty snake, the Amazon river cutting through the trees. It's quite a view, another one. There is lots to see down there in South America. 
Yep, there's no doubt about it. Some day, in the future, as soon as possible, I need to return. The Travel Bog Podcast is written and produced by David Monero. For exclusive pictures and videos to accompany the series, go to twitter.com forward slash David Monero.